Okay, I've got a moderately new setup, so I think this should be okay. I said I think this should be okay. Okay, yeah, we're good. We're all good. All right. Cut to all the audio lost. Yeah. I guess he's just different. I don't give a flying fuck into a rolling donut about what Al Pacino thinks. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. The, the final episode of the failed blockbuster season three. These um, these last little bonus episodes have been a lot of fun. Today we're here to talk about William Friedkin's Sorcerer. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me is my co-host, Matt Caringo. Yes, it is I. Matt, how are you feeling? I, 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 we had to delay this episode for a while because I got sick. <laughs> and it's okay. It's, it's it's been a while. It's been like how long has it been? It's been like a few weeks. It's been a few weeks since we recorded. Yeah. So, um, so we did well, that's all right. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, yeah, we did Rocky and Bullwinkle, which will be out the week before this episode's out. A, a mistake. This will be our our finale. Possibly a mistake, but uh, no, I I think that episode was worth yeah. it. Um, well, well, here's the thing: we were originally, I think, when we when we started the series, what we were talking about was we we were going to do two bonus episodes, which was basically just me forcing through two movies. And I wanted to force through Rocky and Bullwinkle and Joe Dante's matinee because I think it's ridiculous that we haven't done a Joe Dante movie on this series yet. Um, feels like he would be a king of some of this stuff. And then, mm-hmm. uh, was it right before we started or like while we were doing it that Friedkin pass away? I think he died like right when I was uploading the episodes. Yeah. Like we'd re- been recording, I think, and then it, mm-hmm. yeah, he passed away. Yeah, it was um, early August, so we'd probably we'd probably just ago. started recording them, and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so, uh, and then there was kind of a moment where we were just like, we sh- and, and then we were gonna do. I think we mentioned this on the Friday. Th- we were gonna do the Exorcist for Halloween, and then we didn't want to throw any weight behind <laughs> Exorcist the beginning, so or the Believer or whatever. Um, yeah, the Believer, Believer, whatever. and then didn't want to. Didn't want to scab yeah. and promote a, a newer movie. Yeah, it felt it felt it felt a little wrong. Um, so we uh, we were just like, well, we we had ju- I think we had just done the Heaven's Gate episode where we definitely mentioned Sorcerer, and I was like, let's just let's let's just do Sorcerer. <laughs> like, it made sense. This is one of the peak failed blockbusters. Yeah. It's ridiculous that it kind of hadn't come up in conversation before. You know, like, this is, like, one of the totemic failed blockbusters. Um. Yeah, it, it, is it, like, I mean, Heaven's Gate is pretty seminal Heaven's Gate, for failed blockbusters. But Heaven's Gate but. is kind of the, the, the death nail. Like, this is, I would argue, the beginning of... Like it's over. It's so Jover. Like it's it's, it's it, like this is. I mean, famously, it opens like a month or two after Star Wars or something like that. Um, I think a month. I mean, that's where that meme comes from. Where like a, ma- a guy with a time machine goes back. Like, don't open Sorcerer against Star Wars, and he's like, "Fuck, Fuck you." you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorcerer will destroy that nerd bullshit. Who the fuck do you think you are? Exactly. <laughs> you know? um, and it's just like, that is, it's just, it is the image of like, all right, now Star Wars, that's the new thing. It's those type of movies. 
and Sorcerer is just dead in a ditch. And it's not like an easy death either. <laughs> like, it's Which is maybe fitting for the film. No, it, honestly, because, in a um, weird way, it feels like the only way this could have gone. <laughs> like, yeah, because this is one of the grisliest, dirtiest, nastiest movies you'll ever see. <laughs> It is so tense. Um, th- I, I think this movie is a masterpiece. It's my favorite Friedkin movie. I'm just going to get that out of the way. Um, obviously, other stuff gets close, but uh, when I saw it, it was like love at first sight. It was like, oh, this is it. This is the fucking best. So what's your what's your history me. with Friedkin? Uh, Exorcist, obviously, that's, that's the first one. Um, I don't really explore his stuff until like maybe five or six years ago. Mm. I'm starting to get more into into his stuff like i see bug yeah um a while back and i'm like that's fucking crazy <laughs> uh and then i remember watching killer joe yeah a while back too and being like i have not seen something like that yeah. before at that point um and go back and eventually check out like to live and die in la cruising which i was like whoa whoa yeah. <laughs> oh boy um the french connection um and i th- I think of his like older stuff. Uh, uh, Sorcerer was like the last one that I watched. Like, when, when's the first time? Did I even log it when I first saw it on Letterboxd? I, I I don't know. Let me let me look that up. But what about you? What's your history with? Well, Freak? obviously The Exorcist. I mean, I think The Exorcist just looms large, especially with me, where I'm such like a horror nerd. So like any, if I knew a director before the age of fourteen, it was because they were a horror director at some point. Although he only did mm-hmm. one other horror movie really uh the guardian which is a piece of shit but um uh, we should do the guardian because it's like insane um okay uh by the way i i saw sorcerer like probably 2016 2017 mm. and then i I logged like a rewatch of it like in 2017 um i definitely saw it before that there was an era so like i had i saw the exorcist and i kind of wasn't like freaking I, I didn't like go all in on him. Like I kind of just knew him for the exorcist. I had seen, oddly enough, the movie rules of engagement. Have you ever seen rules of engagement? No, I it's wait. Uh, that's uh, yeah, they're, I'm glad they're dead and I hope they burn in hell. I think so. I think that's that movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a movie that's basically just racist. Like it's not, yeah, <laughs> it's not, uh, which William Friedman has a weird, ups and downs like that like his have you ever seen his i think i've brought it up his television remake of 12 angry men with george c scott in it if you ever i'm pretty sure i did because that's a terrible movie it's very bad and one of the but one of the uh i would i'm gonna call it a friedkinism because i it, it was definitely his choice um i think was his there, there's in 12 angry men there is infamously the racist that is on the jury right that mm-hmm. has the scene where he gives like the whole speech where he's like oh come on you know it's in their blood and everyone turns their backs on him it's like a really powerful moment in that movie um very very liberal power moment but hey um <laughs> uh friedkin made the choice to make the racist in the, his remake a black man who I believe is racist against, uh, I believe the the, the uh, kid is Hispanic in the new, ver- although I think he was Hispanic in the original too. Um, but uh, it, mm. it was a choice to make that guy the racist. Um, well, freaking, it's, it's good that you called that a freak in it. 
Friedkinism because it's like he he's 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 made comments about yeah. stuff, uh, especially in his l- latter years. Well, Fr- like, Friedkin, um, he, he's just a guy who is like, I'm gonna get in your face, like I'm gonna make <laughs> you uncomfortable, like that's that's Friedkin, right? Like that seems mm-hmm. to be his whole thing. Um, I'm just like I totally I can't. Be- this is how bad you know that Twelve Angry Men remake is. I remembered Ozzy Davis and George C. Scott were in it. Have have zero memory that James Gandolfini is in that movie. Wow! Like, how do you give? How do how do you make James Gandolfini not memorable in something? I know. And he's juror number six, described he's in as two scenes as patient and respectful of others' opinions, which is not who you cast James Gandolfini as. No, he's in two scenes in True Romance, and he fucking it, it's like he's in the whole movie. Oh yeah, you know. The best, the best, like James Gandolfini. I have two scenes performance has got to be uh, killing them softly, where they hype him up as the hitman to bring in. To oh do the yeah, job. yeah. And he's just in two scenes, and it's like two scenes. One where he's at a a bar, and one where he's with a uh, like a prostitute, and it's just like he's just drunk and belligerent, and he's just, and it turns out he's useless, and they just send him home. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, rest in peace, James Gandolfini. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But yeah, Friedkin. Um, I mean, you, I, 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 you made the, you made the correct noise when you brought up cruising, of just yeah, uh, um, a movie that is still kind of like I don't, I really, I don't know what to do with cruising even to this day. <laughs> like, I think it's terrifically made, and only William Friedkin could have powered through the making of that movie. Yeah. And, like, stood by it, you know what I mean? Because Al Pacino, he didn't really talk about it until very recently. And he was like, ah, you know, I don't I don't really, you know, he doesn't really doesn't really talk about that movie. And then Friedkin's just out here punching. He does that commentary with Mark Kermode, my boy. And he's like, oh, you, I'll say it, Al Pacino didn't like me having uh, him make him do this stuff. And we're all <laughs> like, like, you just kind of go, like, he'll go in on every, everyone knows Friedkin will go in on, on like, whatever, well, yeah, you know? He, he, there's that very popular, like, I don't give a flying fuck into a rolling donut about what Al Pacino thinks, you know? <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> like, and he, could, he, he doesn't have to say it that way. He could just be like, I disagree with him. Like, he has to go all the way in. But... Well, he has, like, a very specific cadence of how he talks. Like, there's this great tweet. I bookmarked it. <laughs> where it's like William Friedkin in universe where he directed the Grinch. <laughs> and it's, I'm just going to I'm just going to try my impersonation for this. Right. Okay. You know, we actually were the first Western crew to ever shoot in Whoville and the Who's to say nothing of their government are a wonderful people. <laughs> the one stipulation I was given was that I bring the head of the Whoville mafia oh, yeah, you did, who yeah. you see briefly in the picture. A stack of Hustler magazines because they didn't really get that kind of thing over there at the time. And it's like, that's like so perfect. Yeah, it's, that's, that's pretty much nails it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a hell of a personality. Um, I'll say this. So I think I, uh, whenever I was getting into it, I just, I think at a certain point when I, I'm trying to think. It was in my early DVD by mail phase with Netflix. Like, my family had always been, like, a Netflix uh, user before the streaming. My dad just liked using it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, like, took over the account at a certain point, and I started getting, like, fucking, like, 
you know, like the bicycle thieves and shit like that. Like, and that was what I was renting through, uh, Netflix. Um, and I, I know for a fact I did, I basically did wages of fear, got it on DVD, watched it, sent it back and then sorcerer. And that must've been when I watched it. Um, I, de- I definitely got the version on DVD that William Friedkin hated. Uh, it For those who don't remember, before the recent Blu-ray release <laughs> of Sorcerer, uh, there was a very poor transfer to DVD, and if you went to the Amazon page for it, you could find William Friedkin in the comments on Amazon.com yelling at people and telling them not to buy this version. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that even the quote and the comment was like, I'm William Friedkin, the director of Sorcerer, and this movie is a piece of shit. Wait for the new Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, this transfer is a piece of shit. Wait for the new Blu-ray. Like, Jesus Christ. It was just like, it was one of those where like, this can't be him. And then the more you realize, the more you learn about William Friedkin, you're like, oh, it's 100% him. Yeah, and I think part of the reason I admire Friedkin so much, to say nothing of his, uh, he, he's made he made some very strange comments towards the end. I'll just say no, that. no. We'll, maybe I'll talk about them some more later. I mean, he's he's but, like, um, I mean, for me, he's like Harlan Ellison, you know, like Harlan Ellison, another guy uh-huh. who just would fucking go off like a lunatic, and he said a lot of things where I'm like, fuck yeah, Harlan, and a bunch of other things where I'm like, I don't know this man, <laughs> I, I I don't know him, don't want to <laughs> know him, like. No, because, like, as, as he got older, too, because he was known as, like, a renegade. And I think a, a part of the reason I, 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 like, looked up to him was, like, he had, um, he just had no shame. Yeah. You know? And that's for better and worse. Because, like, you know, he's got these legendary podcast appearances from everything to, like, from Marin to Joe Dante and Mick Garris' show together. And the Marin, he comes clean and he's like, you know, because Marin's hyping up, like, the French Canadian's like, you did it for real, man. And and Friedkin's like, no, 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 that was dangerous. I was wrong. I put people in harm's way. I would not do it the way I did it mm. then today. And then and the Joe Dante, Mick Garris stuff, who he's buddies with, right, mm. is, like, all, all, like, chuckles and stuff like that. And then um, they're talking about, like, the political state of the world. I believe it's, like, a 2016, 2017 interview. So they're talking about Trump, and he's like, well, why who's to say Donald Trump won't be the greatest president or something like that? And it's just like, well, I could think of a couple yeah, of reasons, bud. I, I think a big thing you holding know? back Donald Trump from being the greatest president of all time is the fact that he's Donald Trump. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, yeah, he made a lot. Yeah, I mean, so well, then there's like, he does like, there's, there's also him like doing that documentary about the fucking, an exorcist. Yeah, which I will never watch. Yeah, which is, <laughs> like, and like, I, I believe it's the guy who's the inspiration for the Pope's exorcist, or at least one of them. fucking insane. Yeah, like, and the guy, it's one of those guys, and it's not like a priest who's just like, exorcism is like his one weird thing. He's like an insane person, and he's like one of those guys who's like, mm-hmm. Harry Potter's the devil, like one of those type of people. And so, mm-hmm. like, I, like, why Freak can even bother to do that is insane. Other than maybe, if I'm giving him any credit, I almost respect this, if uh, maybe he uh, realized he could make some money making a documentary about exorcism, being the director of The Exorcist. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> he, he made that with Mark Kermode? What are, that's insane. Uh, that is. That's, yeah. what, a, that, what a ridiculous documentary. Um, well, because, like... Uh, I... Kermode's been getting a lot of play for me in this in this retrospective yeah, same, season. Um, but, like, you know... 
Exorcist is his favorite movie of all time, all that jazz. So he became buddies with Friedkin and Blatty. And, you know, like, my favorite joke about uh, the new Exorcist movie is that Friedkin saw, like, an early cut of the trailer or something. He was like, fuck this, and just died. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Kermode has, like, this... He had to time himself so he wouldn't spend the entire episode, like, shitting on the new yeah, Exorcist movie. Tell you it's like eight off. minutes flat or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, they they, they, they were buddies towards now, the end. Now, here's something um, that um, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial just came out, right? Like, yes. you know anyone who's watched it? I, like, I'm surprised, like, no one even seems to have bothered with it. Oh, uh, uh, people seem to have thought it was like solid. Okay. No one, no one's saying it's like a home run. Yeah, but I want to check it. I, yeah. I really like the original Kane Mutiny, um, but mm. uh, it was like I just I was shocked when I heard. It. I just, I'm just surprised it kind of flew under the radar, considering he just passed away. Right, like that this is gonna yeah. be his. Well, it was a it was a TV movie. Yeah, you know. But fuck that. Release it in theaters, you fucking cowards, pieces of shit. Hollywood I know. I feel like fucks. they should have made an exception. Yeah. It was, like, they were saying, like, no, 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 it was always meant just for, for Showtime or whatever. And it's like, no, we know. Like, you could still just, like, do that. You could just change yeah. that and, like, release it in theaters. Like, you don't have to just do that. I don't that. know if you guys noticed, but your name is Paramount. You can do that <laughs> if you want. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely saw the shittier DVD version of Sorcerer initially. Um and I just remember, it's a big like DVD moment. like that's an era where I'm just watching everything you know and just slowly going through mm-hmm. people's filmographies um, saw Cruising um, at an age when I was maybe in denial about certain feelings I had <laughs> and I was, like, <laughs> I was just like I didn't know what to do with it have you heard have you seen Tarantino's weird defense of Cruising no I feel like my life is not become lessened because I've heard it. Well, uh, you know what I mean? there's like, a Friedkin documentary and uh, um, Tarantino's in it. Like, they interview him a lot in it. Uh, so, it's called Friedkin Uncut. Uh, came out a few years ago. It's, yeah, oh, boy. I was kind of hoping it would be like, uh, what was it? The, uh, what's, uh, the fucking De Palma documentary, which is really good. Um, but mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, it's yeah. good, like but it's not that. And uh, Tarantino's weird defense of cruising was like, well, you know, this it, it managed to capture the New York gay community before it was ravaged by the AIDS crisis. Like he's like, this it's a important historic document because we, there's not a lot of many documentations of these things on film. And he's like, and then, and I from what I've heard, gay people love it now because of that. And I'm like, I don't know how many gay people you know, Quentin Tarantino, but um, <laughs> I mean, hey. <laughs> Uh, I'd never heard that, but it seems like his defense is at least coming from a good place and not something truly psychotic. At Tarantino least, has, but Tarantino is so. weird. I mean, but that's he's that's why like no one on film Twitter really has a right to judge Tarantino because that is one like, of the most film Twitter type takes I've ever heard. Like, uh huh. I'm just like I am gonna refocus this movie. So it is morally in the correct place for me. Like, and now you yeah. would have to argue against the correct mor- te- morality of this movie in order to say it's a bad film, which is what everyone on film Twitter yeah. does. So, yeah, um, that's that's how you do it. That's how you get through the day mm-hmm. on film Twitter. Now, um, when uh, oh, 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 there's another thing with Sorcerer where 
I must have been looking up like I must have been looking up William Friedkin because I'm I'm not super. I you know even looking at his filmography now, I think I there's still a lot of movies of his I haven't seen. Right, like mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't seen everything he's um, done. I have not seen like basically anything pre Boys in the Band. Um, I haven't seen the Brinks Job. I haven't seen Deal of the Century. Haven't seen Rampage. Haven't seen Blue Chips. Haven't seen Jade. Haven't seen The Hunted because that was a movie my dad like shit talked for some reason, and I've never been able to figure out why. Uh, I I liked uh, The Hunted and Jade. Okay, Jade got like a lot yeah. of criticism when it came out, like that it was like massage. Yeah, it was definitely one of those. I get yeah. it. <laughs> Is that a Joe Esterhouse joint? Yeah, that makes sense. It is. Mm. Joe Esterhaus wrote that shit. Um, I haven't seen any of his TV stuff except the 12 Angry Men thing, as, as mentioned. And I've seen, like, Bug and Killer Joe, which, like, kind of blew my mind. Like, those... It's weird. I responded so much stronger, honestly, to Bug and Killer Joe than I did to, like, The French Connection initially. Like, The French Connection I watched... That is wild. Yeah. French Connection I watched and I was kind of like, that's good, but, like, I'm not... Like, it wasn't my thing and I, I honestly there's still a little bit of me that like free kid isn't like one of my guys in the sense that like i like his movies but he's not someone i watch that i'm like fist pumping like this is what i love about cinema type shit you know um well i i think i'm actually on the same page as you even though i just mentioned we've mentioned a bunch of stuff that we love mm. we love of his or at least find interesting and i i think that's also why I end up loving what I love from him so much. Because mm-hmm. um, he swung out. He swung out plenty of yeah. times. But, like, you try to find, like, a distinct style to any of his stuff. And I think William Friedkin is the, just the greatest journeyman of all no, time. That's, yeah, that's the thing is or at that... at least one of the greatest journeymans of all time. Yeah, it, it doesn't... Because when I first looked up Sorcerer, I think I had the same thing that everyone has where I'm like, holy shit, the director of The Exorcist did a fantasy film? <laughs> And then I, I looked it up, <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, all right, it's it's not. Like, I had that moment, right? Like, yeah, like a yeah. lot of people had. And, um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like, his movies, they're all very different um, in an odd way. Like, even like even something like The French Connection to Live and Die in Early, which are both crime films, they feel like worlds apart, right? Like... Mm-hmm. They they don't yeah it, it almost doesn't feel like it's from the same director, and even like Sorcerer and obviously which there's has a sequence that like almost feels like a like French Connection adjacent sequence early on that stuff's immediately abandoned once the actual plot gets going. Yeah, and like it's not just like him using different cinematographers and stuff yeah. like that either. It's like just like texturally, mm-hmm. like the way it's like the designs, mm-hmm. like the sets and the the outfits and the characters, like it's all. He seems like he doesn't want to repeat himself, which I really respect. I like directors that do that, you know? It, he's, mm-hmm. he honestly feels a lot closer to someone like Ang Lee, you know? Like, a, yeah. A, another guy who yeah. like, is, feels like he can kind of just, he can do different genres that and his movies don't feel of the same piece, unless you're, like, really looking. And yeah. he's always willing to try something different and has taken some wild swings out and just, like, missed every now and then, right? But, like, you kind of have to respect the swing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, something like Bug... Bug and Killer Joe are two, like, kind of wild movies to do late in your career. Like, 
Yeah. It's, uh, well, Killer Joe is basically an exploitation film. Yeah, it's an exploitation film done at like an A level, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> and it, did that get an NC seventeen? Is that one of those movies where like it? it I think it, it's one of the last ones. Yeah. Yeah, it still infamously got an NC seventeen. No, didn't a blonde got an NC seventeen? Right. Like that was the whole thing with that movie. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like so those are two one. of the last ones. Yeah. One of those significantly better. Um. I do like Killer Joe. Oh, it's I have also not seen one where I just can't like throw it on, you know. Um, oh yeah, no, it's not a it's not a comfort watch no. to say the least. But I've also not seen Blonde. I've I've read Defenses of Blonde. Um, I I need to just separate myself from Andrew Dominic's horribleness uh, before I revisit any of his stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, did you anything else? Where he just he said a lot of really dumb shit. Um, he just said a lot of shit, yeah. and we're always like, dude, come yeah. on. I was just telling people how fucking hype I am for your movie. Yeah, I've been waiting a so. decade since your fucking last movie, and this is what you do, you fuck. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I feel like, I, I was checking, I gave To Live and Die in L.A. four stars on Letterboxd, and I'm like, I actually think I must have, like, undersold that. That movie's great. Um, yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Yeah, uh, that, Robbie Mueller shot it. That the might great Robbie Mueller. That might be my favorite of Friedkin, honestly. Like now that I think about it, it's I don't a know great why, one. why I gave it four stars. It's a great movie. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, have you had you yeah. seen? When did you see in relation to Sorcerer the Wages of Fear? Uh, only a couple years ago. Okay. Like, I, I think I saw it during the pandemic. Finally, for the first oh, time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, like like the first year of the pandemic because we're technically still in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like twenty twenty, uh-huh. maybe. Okay. Let me see. I I keep checking Letterbox. I'm like, because I know I saw it, but like, when's what like the, the time? I can't trust my own Letterbox. Um, I don't log I didn't everything. Log it. So, um, but yeah, I didn't log it. But yeah, I saw Wages of Fear. Um, probably that first year where I didn't leave the house yeah, for yeah. a very long time. So I like I like I said I saw Wages of Fear first and then Sorcerer. Like I did them like back-to-back within a week of each other, so... Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's how I used to watch movies. I wish I could go back. I fucking... I'm so pissed they got rid of DVD by mail. Um, but... Yeah. It's fucking stupid. It's a bunch... It's Um, basically a crime. Um... Uh... And I rewatched... I don't know enough... I rewatched, uh... I was gonna say, I rewatched both films twice before doing this episode. So... I don't know enough about the director of Wages of Fear, uh... (laughs) Henri George Clouseau. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, the only other one I know is uh, um, Diabolique, um, which is kind of the like the famous like it out Hitchcock Hitchcock movie, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically the movie that inspired Hitchcock to do Psycho because he felt like people were starting to get better than him. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> Have you seen uh, Diabolique? Yes, it's a great movie. Which has that like it does have that like insane twist at the end of it where it's just mm-hmm. like where like it, allegedly it was one of those it was kind of like the psycho shower scene where like people had heart attacks in the theater watching it yeah. like because it is kind of wild uh, and yeah. uh, Hitchcock is actually relevant to Friedkin because he would always say like there's so many interviews of him talking to like film students and stuff where he's like drop out go study the works of Alfred Hitchcock, then make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't, you know, I didn't he know said he said that like hundreds of times. I didn't know he said that, but I've actually been thinking that same thing lately where I'm like, if you're going to, if you're going to make a movie, like straight up, just watch Hitchcock and just rip him off. Like he's got all the moving parts in his movies, right? Like they're all there. Like just yeah. watch his shit. I mean, cause you can, you, you can do it. Right. 
you can yeah and it, it people i think associate hitchcock was like oh hitchcockian thriller and like yet yeah, that's 100 percent the case but like i i love to catch a thief yeah that's such exactly. a fun breezy movie and people are like that's lesser hitchcock and i'm like is it like it's just not very tense and it's yeah. kind of like goofy at times but it's a great fucking time yeah, people are you know? weird. I don't know what's... It's gotten weird with Hitchcock lately. Like, I don't know why. Like, maybe because he's, like... Everyone's just like, he was a creep. And it's like, yeah, he was. But also, like... Yeah, yeah like, let's, let's not downplay that, but... <laughs> but also, like, I mean, his stuff is so good. Like, it's it's kind of... It's embarrassingly good, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that he just he just knew how to, like, strip things down. Just be like, here's the pieces, here's how you do it. And you could remake any one of his movies, like his really good ones. You could make them now, and they would still hold up, right? Like, yeah, like the 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 narrative engines or the premise alone are like enough to sustain like yeah. a, like a movie. And a lot of like them I, been... I know some people kind of frown upon like, oh, you're gonna remake like, uh, like 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 like. like I mean, Psycho, maybe that's the one you don't really yeah. try to, to remake. Well, I mean, they did. Um, there's like, oh, Rear Window or North by Northwest or uh, Strangers on a Train. You're going to try to remake those? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Like, but literally, I mean, the, all those plots you just listed are ones where you can just be like, okay, just do Strangers on a Train, but like change it a little, right? Like two guys mm-hmm. meet, they swap murders. That's your plot, right? Like, yeah, that's that's you just do that. And you can literally, I mean, you can do Strangers on a Train or literally, like, Throw Mama from the Train, the Danny DeVito film. Yeah. Like, which, it, it's, it's, Hitchcock has all those working parts. Um, but I would say that, I would say the same is true about, like, Wages of Fear, which I think is almost like a textbook example of how to do suspense in a movie. Um, it's, it's, it's genuinely like a masterpiece of suspense, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can talk about the rest of that guy's filmography. I don't know if like he just kind of happened to have those like two back to back winners, or if he's or, or if like his other movies, even though they're lesser well known, are are still good. I I haven't seen them, but uh, mm-hmm. those two. Um, you you had tweeted a poll the night before yes, recording I had. this episode, and it just finished while we were talking. Um, oh, good. I decided to ask people uh, which they preferred. Um. Give me a second. I have to get it up. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I, I said, which is better, Wages of Fear or Sorcerer? And um, 67 to 33% um, Sorcerer won. So, mm. uh, which is crazy because Wages of Fear is far and away the better film. Oh, you you think, okay. I, think it's, I, I don't think it's far and away the better film. I think it's uncontested the better film. I do think it's a better film. Or yeah. I, I think it's more of what I look for in cinema. There's a certain stylization yeah, yeah. And, with and the, with I would the agree. filmmaking there. And I look for quality. And Wages of Fear has more quality. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm just fucking you... around. I'm just fucking around. No. Okay, I was like, what? <laughs> whoa, whoa, Sorcerer whoa. is like... No, it, um... The thing about Sorcerer, it's, such a, it's honestly such a different beast than Wages of Fear. Um, we'll get more mm-hmm. into it. But I think Wages of Fear is the uh the far superior film um and uh in my rewatching of them i kind of my estimation of wages of fear kind of grew as i rewatched it back to back um so there's a hilarious no i i actually do think wages of fear is better i just don't think it's far and away better there's a hilarious quote um on the wikipedia page um where uh people are talking about like the reassessment of sorcerer and said mm-hmm. it, Stephen King used to have a column in Entertainment Weekly 
um, in 2009. Uh, 20 movies that never disappoint. And he placed Wages of Fear at number two and Sorcerer at number one. Saying that although That's Wages, so funny. although Wages of Fear is considered one of the greatest movies of the modern age, he preferred Sorcerer and stated that Schneider's role as Jackie Scanlon was one of um, the two best roles in his career, as well as saying the film um, generates suspense through beautiful simplicity. And then the next paragraph is prominent English critic Mark Carmody also expresses appreciation for the movie, saying he had got a fondness for William Friedkin's version of Wages of Fear. However, adding, only an idiot would argue that Sorcerer is, be- is a better movie than Wages of Fear. Which means Cremody definitely read Stephen King's column. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Cremody is so funny because, like, he'll he'll plant his flag and then, like, you can tell, like, what's been eating away at him. Because, mm-hmm. like, like a fucking us on a podcast... He'll just find a way to bring it up and be like, and that's why that that take is fucking wrong, and you're an idiot for saying that. <laughs> and you've always been an idiot for saying it. <laughs> like, um, and I'm looking right so now in, for the 2012 Sight and Sound uh, polls. Uh, Tarantino uh, put it on his list. He gave 12 movies, and they were unranked. Um, and then uh, Benny Safty of the Safty Brothers put it in his top 10, also unranked. Um, this was the 2012 list. I, I I do not know if it carried over, or if they even did a 2022 list. Um, so they both uh, think Sorcerer is better. <laughs> hmm. That was that was uh, Sight and Sound. You said yes. You know how they do the uh, yeah top. yeah they did they did uh, their list last year. I, I think they were new lists. Okay. So. Yeah. And some directors like mix it up every year. Um. Mm-hmm. But uh, when 2012, that was what they picked. So. Okay. Uh, yep, wages of fear. Uh, wages of fear is better. Um, I like. I agree with that, but I don't think it's it's far and away better. I think it's like there is uh there just... is there's here's how here's how I ended up breaking it down. Um, ultimately, and this is not. I only really have like one thing in sorcerer that I really brush up against, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. but uh. My, my take on Sorcerer is that everything Friedkin brings to it that isn't in Wages of Fear, everything he brings, I love. Like, all the stuff he added to it, I think, is great, right? Uh, that stuff's mm-hmm. good. Anything that is in Sorcerer that is also in Wages of Fear, I think Wages of Fear just did better. Um, when I compare the sequences. Because, uh, I mean, by the, the last chunk of both movies is just the drive, Right. And yeah. there are some there are some moments that are in Sorcerer that are lifted directly from Wages of Fear, and I think Wages of Fear did the did it better, frankly. Um, but then when mm-hmm. there's a moment in it, like there, you know, the bridge, you could argue that the bridge is uh, there's 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 scenes like it in Wages of Fear, but it's mostly um, original to Sorcerer the way it's done here. Like that's an incredible sequence, right? Yeah. Um, like that, oh my God. Yeah. It, it's kind of insane. You're like, because it's 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 less. It's honestly less insane for the movie itself. Like like you're you're not like I'm not really watching it in the like. Oh my God, the nitro could go off. I'm like, it looks like this fucking truck's about to go into the river. Like, it's like I know. Yeah. I'm like, like, how did they do that? It looks like they just drove a truck over a wooden bridge over a river. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh no, oh, oh God. <laughs> Wow, it looks like these actors are in genuine danger. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of that in Sorcerer. 
Uh, hey, Roy Scheider's getting pretty close to that fire yeah. at the end there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, this is, there should be some saves. Anyone, I mean, it must, it's a movie, so they must know what they're doing. Uh, you can't just <laughs> throw an actor into this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my main takeaway. And I say this with all love to Sorcerer. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a, it is one of those where, honestly, Sorcerer almost stands on its own enough that I could just consider it its own movie. I think even Friedkin is like, eh, it's not a remake of Wages of Fear. Like, I think he's like, uh, like I read. Yeah, he said that. Book. Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of see where and, he's coming from. And so, and so, although there are, again, there are some sequences in Sorcerer that are just straight from uh, Wages of Fear, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that are undeniable. Um, like the big, uh, you know, they have to blow up the boulder in in Wages of Fear. It's a down tree in Sorcerer. Um, I think the, the boulder sequence is better, frankly, but that's just my opinion. Um, well, a boulder is also just like, it, it poses more of a challenge, yeah. you know? Like, th- this is very pedantic almost, but I, I, I do think this leads credence to your take and ultimately mine, that Wages of Fear is stronger. Like, the conflict feels um, more consistent throughout. Like, it's constantly like, how the fuck are they going to get past this? How the fuck are they going to get past that? And Sorcerer has that too, obviously, but I, I, I do agree. Like, it, it is kind of everything that's in Wages of Fear that's in Sorcerer is better in Wages of Fear. Yeah. But it's just like the highs of Sorcerer are fucking, like, they're kind of unparalleled yeah. for me. And also, I think Sorcerer you know? has a better ending. Um, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I, I was holding on to that one. They both um, have, like... I, I think the ending to Sorcerer is, is fucking perfect. They both have similarly... Whereas the ending of Wages of Fear is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's a good but... one. They're similarly grim in, like, different ways. But uh, I, I I prefer... And you can't really do the Sorcerer ending in Wages of Fear because the whole, like, prologue sequences are completely original to Sorcerer. So... Yeah. Um, Although I have no idea if any of that like is like you can trace it back to the novel. I have never read it, but um, maybe we should have for this. Maybe, but fuck it. <laughs> Whoops. Um, fuck it. Whatever. It's French. Who gives a shit? Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about who made this movie besides William Friedkin. We got the screenplay by Wallen Green. Do you know who that is? Um, I've heard that name. Um, is that the Wild Bunch guy? It is the Wild Bunch guy. Okay. Along with who co-wrote it with Sam Peckinpah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um. They did something called the Brinks job. Whenever when you, you say know, the Brinks job, we, yeah, we well, brought that I, up. I just mentioned it because it's Friedkin's uh, follow up to this, which I've never seen. Yeah, but when you say co-wrote um, with uh, with Sam Peckinpah, I just imagine Sam Peckinpah holding a gun to his head and being yeah. like, write, like, it. write this down, write it, yeah. and then they're gonna fucking um, shoot everyone. Let's just fucking yeah. write it. <laughs> He's doing a fucking line on the side. Yeah. Um. No, no, see, we're going to do the slow motion, so you're going you're gonna to be able to... That's the only way you're going to see the passage of time in the shootout, because everything's going to be happening too fast. Gonna slip, uh, gonna, and then he shoots the woman in her uh, fucking face. He's going to fucking kill the woman. Like, <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, Sam, Sam, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, calm down. Um, Wallen Green also wrote on uh, Robocop 2 and Eraser. So. Oh, oh, boy, those are some movies. <laughs> those are definitely some movies. Uh, his last film credit is the Coast screenplay and co-story for uh dinosaur well the, the disney's dinosaur film it's good to go out on top yeah um, that's a failed blockbuster yeah maybe actually no it's not what the fuck i oh, thought it was a huge bomb i think it was one of those where like it kind of rode the wave of like walking with dinosaurs which was still huge at the time to like make enough money like 
Mm. And there was kind of a, like, you're not going to believe how fucking good this movie looks. And it's like, well, it looks bad, but, um... (laughs) Didn't, like, Paul Verhoeven almost do Dinosaur? Yeah. Something insane like that, like... Yep. Yeah. That would have been fucking nuts. Is that what... Is, like, that's one of those ones where, like, the original version... Which also is what happened with Walking with Dinosaurs, like, years later, where the original version was going to be, like, no dialogue... Uh, just dinosaurs walking around, like, you know, and then at some yeah. point, some executive was like, no, make them talk, make them, make yeah. them say, make the one guy, like, horny, because that's always funny, and it's like, is it, yeah. is it, is it now, um, but, uh, remember that, that's one of those, why are that, I mean, I guess it's because they're all, they all, they went extinct, but fucking dinosaur movies for kids are always so fucking grim. Like I know it's like there's like they all get killed by like asteroids in the first like five minutes of that movie. Like, mm-hmm. Can't dinosaurs just be like having fun? You know. I mean, I guess no, that, no, you can't. You can't have that. I guess that's the Land Before Time sequels. Like, yeah, yeah. Land they Before... were like, hey, we killed we killed the mom in the first one. Yeah. We better we better lighten shit up. We killed the mom. The whole planet's dying. Um, and they ascend to heaven at the end of Land Before Time. Like that's the end. That's the ending of Land Before Time. Kids is that they're coming to peace. They keep their faith in God, and then they get to ascend to the Great Valley, which is heaven, because they're all gonna die because it's the end of the world. That's the ending of the first Land Before Time. And there are thirteen sequels. <laughs> <laughs> there are thirteen direct-to-video sequels to Land Before Time, a movie that is about uh, coming to terms with your own death as the world ends around you. So you can go to the magical Great Valley where every day you just get to play with your friends and have fun in the sunshine for all eternity. Because that's, <laughs> that's what happens if you keep Jesus in your heart. What a I fucking... I can't believe I watched that as a child. I know, I know. It's... That was... I, I threw crazy. that on... I threw that... Like, for whatever reason, I was re-watching that and fucking, uh, fucking American Tale... And I was just like, can I sue Don Bluth? Like, is this where the depression started? Like, is, the, yeah, is, is maybe. this it? Like, because these movies are so <laughs> goddamn grim. Like, holy shit. Like, why is that? Why do we keep doing that? You know? Like, why is it like, fucking kill the mom? Like, fucking. <laughs> like, just fucking. She fucking falls. And she dies, and she's like, and like, it's you see it, like you, you her last <laughs> words to her child, like, why? Why do we keep doing that? Why do we think kids need like these harsh lessons like that? I don't know. And you, you know what it is? It's fucking. It's a screenwriter hat trick where it's like, oh, if you kill like the mom or the dad, specifically the mom, you're gonna get like audience investment immediately. Well, yeah, it's like make the kid and vulnerable. Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but well. To, also, just to give it some... Fucking American Tale gets this away with the same thing, but it just separates him from his family, right? Which is grim enough. Like, that's yeah. sad enough. But you didn't... It's not like fucking his dad, like, got fucking crushed by a beam. Like, it's... It's, it's... Oh, my God. Um, God damn. Yeah. Um, fucking child okay. uh, watching Land Before Time begins lifelong battle with depression. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Land Before Time is sort of like Baby's First Sorcerer. I mean, it's... It I is, don't know. I'm just is, trying to bring it back to the... It is about, like, a long journey. I mean, um, there, at least he, he gets to heaven in the end. There is a sort of, like, we're already dead quality to both films. 
Yeah. I mean, that's... It's... Someone put the sorcerer theme behind the Land Before Time imagery. That sappy song they play at the end of Land Before Time. <laughs> like, we will go on together. Like, play that over yeah. images of, like, him having the freak out at the end of Sorcerer. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, also, you know what might have detracted from both Sorcerer and Wages of Fear um, the first uh. time I saw it? No dinosaurs. Um, well, there's, that's always a problem, frankly. <laughs> but also, uh, this movie was kind of uh, stealth remade as the hit 2000 Chris O'Donnell vehicle, Vertical Limits. What? Have you ever seen Vertical Limit? No. It's what so- is that? It's Sorcerer but on a Mountain. It stars Robin? Yes, it stars Robin and Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton is basically, like, evil. Um, who's that guy that climbs all those fucking mountains? The billionaire. Um, the virgin guy. Uh, I, oh, I have no idea. Yeah, well, he's, Bill Paxton's, like, basically the bad guy in it. Like, Okay. It's, What's it's, it called? Vertical? It's called Vertical Limit. It's very bad. Um, it's basically, like, fucking MTV on a mountain, like, fucking sorcerer. Uh, the, the basic plot is uh, Bill Paxton is like a billionaire he wants to climb K-12 K-2 which is the most dangerous mountain in uh, the world and he's he goes up even though everyone's like hey there's a storm coming and he's like ah, I'm going up anyway and of course he, there's, a, there's, there's like an avalanche he gets trapped with Chris O'Donnell's sister and another guy and they're able to signal the base camp to like come and rescue them. And people are like, well, they're trapped because of the way the fucking the avalanche happened. They're trapped under like hundreds of pounds of snow and ice. So how do we get through it? And they're like, well, we're on the, we're on, this is so dumb. It's like, we're on the Pakistani border. So the Pakistani army has nitroglycerin, but uh oh, they didn't really store it correctly. And, wow! Yeah, and there is there's like straight up a scene in it where like it's leaking and they have to throw a guy's boot. Like there, there's a scene, and it's basically they, they. So it's like you have to climb the mountain with nitroglycerin strapped to your back. That's basically the plot of Vertical Limit. Um, and yeah, Martin Campbell directed that. He did. Yeah, man, it's it. It does not feel like Martin Campbell directed it. Although he's that's that's a he's a real journeyman guy. Like where like some of his movies. Yeah, because like, when he fucking hits, he he fucking hits, yeah. and then he does, and you're like, yeah, I, I didn't need to see that. Yeah, like he literally made the best of, of the modern James Bond movies, and Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, although that one's not his fault. Not entirely. really, but still, so, but like the fact yeah. that it, his name's on it. Um, yep, yep, yep. Like, yeah, he's a very very valleys peaks and valleys of his career but yeah vertical limit is basically Mm -hmm. and that was another definitely a dvd by mail movie that i watched in childhood (laughs) probably like i i watched that when i was way young when dvds were kind of a cool and new thing so like any movie on dvd you kind of just were like oh wow it looks so good um yeah (laughs) roger ebert gave vertical limit three stars Oh my god! <laughs> so, you might like it. Who fucking knows? It's been years since I seen it. Like, I just, I just remember it was kind of like dumb guy sorcerer, right? Like, it's that's basically the plot of that movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
So. Um, something I want to mention about Sorcerer and William Friedkin is that um, Friedkin never really developed projects from the ground up. Mm-hmm. He, he had said that, and I, I haven't been able to fully like vet every instance of him making or directing a movie to make sure that's true. But I just thought that was interesting. Like that, that's proof that he's like a real or he was a real journeyman. Mm-hmm. You know, he would like get attached to projects, but he didn't build them from the ground up. Although, um. He did choose Wallen Green as the screenwriter for Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is the closest he gets to, like, developing his own project. This one feels um, like, of his old filmography, it does feel like him trying to put his name on it, like, as big as possible, which might be, might have been a mistake in uh, in the long run. But, um, in terms, yeah. In terms of the consequences um, to his career. Well, he, th- he would call this, like, uh, the film he's most proud of, mm-hmm. like, pretty often. Um... Maybe that shifted to The Exorcist at some point after him and Blatty like remained friends yeah. into their old ages. Although but... didn't they like the, like The Exorcist like production ends with them like both suing each other, right? Like something like that. Yeah, like it, it kind of it, it turns sour at a point, I think. But then there's like the, the great uh, behind the scenes featurette on The Exorcist where they're bickering like an old married yeah. couple. Yeah, no, that's... It, but it's like really sweet. Yeah, <laughs> like... that's, that's good. Um... Here's something to, just to bring it up. So like, Friedkin not really being one of my guys. Like, I didn't like, I didn't like look him up that much when I was younger. Like, I wasn't reading, you know, in the way I would look up like like some like someone like Sam Peckinpah maybe, you know, where like I kind of went in on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but my introduction to Friedkin as like a person and a character was I watched one of those shitty like Curse of the Exorcist documentaries when I was like twelve. Right, it was on like the mm-hmm. E channel and. So, like, you know, those things are usually made up of, like, archival interviews and, uh, but then, like, the other ones are, like, just people, like, kind of, like, just, like, they wheel in, like, film critics and they just talk directly to the camera, right? Like, to be, like, mm-hmm. The Exorcist Legacy, blah, blah, blah. And Friedkin, he's not interviewed in it, but they have some interview with Friedkin that they use. And it's one of the weirdest goddamn things I've ever seen because it doesn't look like an interview it looks like a a police interrogation video it's like it's like black and white and the camera is like up in the corner of the room like looking down on him and it's freaking being a lot of like yeah i made the room cold so what like it's a lot of him (laughs) talking like that and it's like that was my introduction to him and i was like what why why is he like in hiding why is this interview done this way <laughs> like like did they trick him into being in this interview like that's what the vibe was so jesus christ uh yeah just fucking what a character um yeah he's um he he, he was something all right he um, he will be missed <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I do kind of miss his presence, yeah. like, in the world, at well, he, least, you know. He was a guy who, like, popped up every now and then and said something, like, insane, but in, like, a good way, so. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what, a... He defended I mean, someone, though. I remember, like, one of the things he did on Twitter was, like, he defended someone that you shouldn't defend. Um, oh, I, I believe that without, like, yeah. questioning it. I mean, Paul Schrader did the same thing with, like, Spacey and shit, so. Yeah, yeah, um... 
uh, I think those two are cut from the same cloth. Uh, Friedkin and, and uh, Schrader, not not Spacey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Was um, that weird? Did you Friedkin see that? There was that funny. quote that went around where he said uh, it was kind of shared like right after he died, where he's like, "I've had heterosexual thoughts and homosexual thoughts." Like he's just giving an interview, kind of about like cruising, I think. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But that that question starts with him going like. Someone asked him, like, well, who, what directors do you really admire? And it, he starts like, oh, Woody <laughs> Allen. Like, and you're like, now? <laughs> yeah. And he's um, like, sometimes the heart wants what it wants. Now, when Woody, when Woody listened to the heart, it was with an underage girl. But hey, like, it's one of the weirdest interviews I've ever seen with a guy. No, he he has amazing interviews. There's two I want to bring up right now. There's one I'm not gonna do the whole like quote verbatim like I did earlier because I want to talk more about the movie. Yeah. But there's one where like it's a video interview on YouTube, and they're cutting around a lot with multiple cameras. And he was like he was praising some other director from the silent era. Um. Oh fuck! I think it was the fucking the the KKK dude. Unfortunately. Oh, D.W. Griffith. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, and he would just stage the action for the camera, not this cutting around bullshit that you guys are doing now. <laughs> it's just like, dude. That makes sense. <laughs> and I'm like, man, there's like layers to why that was terrible. But <laughs> And then there's this one, uh, it's a written interview from uh, cinephiliabeyond.org, which is a great resource if you want to find old screenplays yeah, and old yeah. interviews from... Uh, older artist and they're asking like because uh, i guess freaking made a comment about how pro- hollywood only produces just star wars or stuff that's like star wars and how everything wants to be star wars right and he mentions like well it was hugely successful it was beyond anyone's dreams yada yada and he keeps talking it's like you know people want to analyze what star wars was and we'll make an- how do you make another star wars well it's kind of a comic book and that's how mass production ends up to Batman, Superman, Iron Man, The Hunger Games. And it's like, that's not a comic book, but all right. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, I'm not saying this in a negative way. It's what audiences want to see. They're popular films and they crowd out other kinds of films. I imagine that's true in Croatia, isn't it? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> Where did they come from? <laughs> like I, I'm assuming the interviewee is from Croatia. Yeah, I, yeah, I would I hope. It, I mean, actually, I, know. I don't know if that makes it better. Like, I know. I'm just gonna start ending every point I make with that. <laughs> I'm assuming the same is true in Croatia, as if like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Oh my god. Um, you know, it's. I just got just right. just speaking of good interviews. Have you been following the, the recent Carpenter interviews he's been giving because he has that series out? And oh yeah, he's he, he's incredible. He went on Colbert and was he's, like, "Yeah, I directed the show from my home." <laughs> like he was like, "I didn't leave my house. If I could have done that with the thing, I would have done it." Like, <laughs> it was like that. Uh, the uh, the it was great where he was like. Colbert was like, you don't have to say it, but like, I'm just wondering, is there an answer as to who is the thing at the end of the thing? And he's like, yes, there is. If you watch the film closely and you send me a check in the mail, I'll, I'll, I will tell you <laughs> who the thing is. Yeah, he's the fucking best. Oh, God. It's, yeah. Like, even though that show is like nothing, it's just like good that he's like kind of doing a press tour for it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. 
But yeah, yeah he's um he he he's a gift. He, he's a gift. Um, I wonder what John Carpenter thinks of Sorcerer. Has Sorcerer been released? Just just one thing. Has Sorcerer been released on 4K yet? Like, has there been a 4K transfer? Um, uh, has there, if there is, I don't fucking have it. I yeah. have a Blu-ray. Let me see. Sorcerer 4K. No. Yeah. No, no, no. There's not. Yeah, it hasn't been released since the uh, 2014 Blu-ray. So... Cause I have it on Blu-ray, but like also like the, the I bought it at like a thrift store, and like they put all these stickers on it that like fucked up the cover. So I need to keep an eye. Oh out. fuck that! Yeah, fuck I want. That. Um, I, I want to mention the uh, cinematography by John F. Stevens and Dick Bush. Mm-hmm. Always um, a good sign when there are they... two cinematographers. Yeah, well, I mean, this is another thing. The the budget for Sorcerer was supposed to be earmarked at fifteen million dollars. It escalated to twenty two million dollars following everything that went into the making of the movie. <laughs> John M. Stevens um, did uh, additional photography for fucking Ice Station Zebra, one of my favorite movies. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, also, um, extra additional camera on The Fog. Yeah, as well as Temple of Doom. Looks. He has an interesting career. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Dick Bush? Good, good uh, work. Dick Bush? Uh, famously worked on such films as Dracula AD 1972. Hell yeah. But also like The Blood of Satan's Claw. Like those are some, there's some actual good movies in there. Um, fucking uh, Phase 4. Uh, so. Oh, Phase 4 is fucking incredible. Phase 4 is great. Um, Layer of the White Worm. Yeah, I only saw that like like three years ago. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's one of those ones where, like, because it's kind of, it, it's like almost an industrial film at times. Like, I think it flies under the radar. Um, is that Soul Best's only directorial film? No, he did two others. All right. Um, but they're all sh- I, I think, think it's the only one you can, like, get a hold of. <laughs> the other two are short films, though, so. Um, yeah, Phase 4. Check out Phase 4. That everyone. feels illegal. Yeah, yeah. hey. What are you going to do? No. Um, uh, we should also also talk about the cast, of course. Uh, Roy Scheider gets top billing. Roy Scheider, uh, Bruno, uh, fresh off of Jaws, and had worked with Friedkin previously on The French Connection. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, basically tanks Roy Scheider's career, I'm guessing. Uh, I think this is this is probably the reason he does uh, Jaws 2, even though he hated it. Um, um, Roy Scheider is fucking incredible in this. He's uh, incredible in everything. But he's incredible in this. You want to hear another take? You don't like him in this. No, apparently Tarantino doesn't like him in this. What the fuck? I think he... I fucking... Guy. Yeah. So, I don't know where that totally comes from. But... Yeah, I was like, what... I I want an answer to that. Like, what the fuck? Like, I think... uh, He had some take where I... I don't even know if this is true. But I guess... uh, at one point, Steve McQueen was in talks for the role. Like, this is like, like Steve McQueen, like, right towards the end, right? And I guess Tarantino insists that, like, Steve McQueen would have been a lot better. Um, so, I don't know. Not, not, not my take. Um, uh, uh, Steve McQueen is a great actor. And he probably was a great actor. He, I, I th- he probably would have been great in this, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't in this, and Roy Scheider's good. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, that's so strange. That that's one of those weird Tarantino takes that I just yeah. don't understand. <laughs> like, Roy Scheider has just such an whatever. odd career, man. Like, 
Um, I mean... Well, because he's in like a handful of the greatest movies of all time, which I would consider Sorcerer among. Yeah, And then it's like all that jazz, Mm -hmm. you know? So small part terrific. Like... Mm-hmm. He's it, like you know, like Jaws, obviously Marathon Man. Like he's got like a weird run, and then it kind of just like stops at a certain point. Right? Yeah, I, which I, Sorcerer might be a part of that, right? You know, like mm-hmm. but all that jazz is after. Um, so I don't fucking know. Did he, was he just one I of those guys? Was, who was like, he... did he have like a reputation of being hard to work with? Um, I don't know, honestly. Like. I know that like he does he does the show uh, Sea Quest, which is like an infamous show in terms of like kind of there was some there was a lot of tension behind the scenes, but I think that, oh. I think it had more to do with the network fucking with things. But like Roy Scheider like kind of exits like in the middle of the second season uh, mm, because of like that's too bad because of how frustrated he uh, was. With he was the in the Punisher movie, the first the first theatrically released Punisher. Yeah, movie. he dies like ten minutes into that thing. Yeah, but he's in it. That's a weird movie. So it counts. Actually, wait, was the 80s Punisher released in theaters? I think so. Oh, might, shit. Never mind that. But it might have been one of those I like movies. like that one. It might have been one of those movies, though, where it was released in, like, two theaters, right? Like. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. It's in the sequel. Oh, no, no, no. That was a. That was released to the public. Yeah, no, that, that one made $30 million. Here's something. He, Roy Scheider was in the two sequels to Dracula 2000. Why? I have no idea. They're both directed video, and uh, what's what makes it even stranger, in my opinion, is that Dra- the sequels to Dracula 2000 are just called Dracula 2 and Dracula 3, as if they're sequels to Dracula. We We really need to have a conversation about, like, naming conventions for sequels, because... Some of these franchises just go all over the place. What's the last thing? I'm trying to look up Russia. He did a movie called Iron Cross, which I've never heard of. Um, that was his last movie. It looks like it was made by someone you've never heard of either. And it took 12 years to get mm-hmm. released. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking... That's weird. It might not... Is it even released? I don't even fucking know. I don't know. Um... But yeah, he's terrific in this. Uh, other cast members is Bruno Cremer, Francisco Rabal, Amido, Ramon Bieri. I'm going to assume I got that right. Carl John. Um, like, it's not like a, a huge ensemble, but I love like the, the tight-knit little like, uh, uh, like, I, it's not even camaraderie because like everyone is at each other's throats for this yeah. whole movie. Which is great, um, but freaking like part of the reason like he was drawn to it was that like he he saw in Wages of Fear that there was like a like a like a budding brotherhood between the cast members that they had to work together and it works like this great metaphor for like something more existential where it's like you have to work together or the world's gonna blow up. There is such right? a there is such a budding brotherhood in the Wages of Fear that when it was released in the United States. Scenes were trimmed from the United States release because it was uh, considered to be promoting homosexuality. <laughs> what a fucked up country. So if you're if you have the Criterion Channel, um, the Wages of Fear is on there, and they it, their special features are there too, and you can find a like twelve minute video about 
the censorship of Wages of Fear in America and like some of the insane like decisions that were made and including that. I mean there is some there is some like kind you could definitely do like some homoerotic subtext with Wages of Fear, but I don't I don't think um it's anything that egregious comparatively, you know. But it is funny yeah. you mentioned that quote about freaking saying that like it's it's a movie about how like we we all kind of need to cooperate. Oh, sorry, my phone went off. That Friedkin said, uh, it's a movie about how we kind of have to cooperate or we're going to blow up. So, like, for Friedkin, this movie is basically like, why can't we all just get along? Yeah. That's that's the lesson of Sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's not, I mean, that's part of, like, the the text of the film. I, I agree with that. But my main, like, read on the film after i first watched it was like yeah you you, you're forced to work and then you die Mm -hmm. yeah the end it's like life is is shit it's insanely not and then you die um i mean that's that that, that's also present in wages of fear i will say one thing i think that gives wages of fear the slight edge is that there's an undercurrent of like dark humor in wages of fear that is completely absent from sorcerer um there, like, there's almost nothing humorous going on in this movie. It's all just grimness all the time. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a little austere, mm-hmm. but I I don't mind it here. Like, is it's a it's a feature, not a bug. You yeah, know what I mean, like, it's That's he's not clearly, trying to be like. It's like clearly funny. the choice. There is one good uh, comedy beat in the movie, um, where when the militants surround the uh, when the rebels surround the uh, truck in the one scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, they're like, should we shoot them now? Like in the car, he's like, no, no, we'll, we'll get them in the road. And then it's like, who will, who's going to drive? And the one guy just looks at the other guy's like, you're a pretty good driver. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's like the one laugh in the fucking movie. Yeah. But. Uh, and like, we're watching, I forget, like, they all just kind of like, everyone that dies in the group, like, dies, like, basically in the span of, like, five minutes. Yeah. Like just right at the end, just like the two guys blow up in the truck, and then one guy gets shot, and then he slowly bleeds to death. And I mean, then that's... Roy Scheider just kind of like has a fever dream. It's similar to Wages of Fear. I mean, that happens. Yeah. Similarly, although it's a little, I I, I was yeah. honestly actually a little surprised to see that uh, Wages of Fear is actually like a half hour longer than Sorcerer. Like that's kind of crazy to me. But Wages of Fear. Mm. Because, like, you would think with the, like, extended prologues to this movie that this would be the longer movie, but it's not. But Wages of Fear, I think, it's its length. Because a lot of its tension is, like, a little slower, but also we spend a lot more time in the kind of company town and, uh, in in Wages of Fear, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we kind of we kind of get an idea of the community um, more so in Wages of Fear than in Sorcerer. Um. Yeah. Um. And to to praise more of like Wages of Fear and Sorcerer, like because I, I mentioned like I, I think I just prefer movies that are directed like Wages of Fear more. Mm. Um, like they seem more like directional, like with their lighting and their their camera placement and stuff. Like it's all it's very theatrical, right? Yeah. Where Sorcerer is like you're fucking in this shit. You're fucking 
blood, sweat, and tears. There's like, blood, sweat, the tears. Most, it's, like, it's raining harder than it's ever fucking rained. There's mud everywhere. You're fucking... The truck looks like a monster for some reason. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. like... It's, it's like everyone looks like shit, and they probably smell like shit. Yeah, everything <laughs> looks terrible. There's no one's happy. Fucking... Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's like that, like... Or I, I just... Yeah, I think I just agree. We're like, I kind of like the more, like stripped down nature of wages of fear you know like it doesn't it has i think wages of fear has the same grimness without the kind of maximizing of everything and i think occasionally Mm -hmm. the maximizing of stuff in which is like that's friedkin's thing but i think it's sometimes it it takes a little bit away from the suspense at times um well see i don't think he's maximizing i think it's like it's it's a grounding you know what i mean I, He's trying I don't to like ground like some. You don't I think don't so? Know. Well, there's certainly an element of that, but the way he is with the camera, honestly, there's scenes in this movie where it feels like he's like two steps away from going like fucking Sam Raimi on some of the shit. Like, <laughs> there's there's the one scene where they kind of have, have to make that turn, right? Like, there's the wooden yeah. platform, and they have to make that turn, and the wood's really bad, and the one guy has to guide it, and the other drives. And, like, they're doing, like, he's, like, you're cutting back and forth and back and forth. And, like, you're doing, like, suddenly there'll be just, like, a random close-up of the one guy's face. Like, the camera will just, pull, like, pull in. And you're, like, well, you didn't need mm. to do that. Like, and like I get it. Like, I get why this is suspenseful. And the editing gets a little quick. It, it, it feels like he's going for an almost, like, what would maybe become, like, a music video style, like, in later decades with some of the scenes. And I think it's a... I think I, f- I feel that, like, more so when... When you get to like, uh, Cider just having the fever dream, yeah. he's just driving in the that plateau area, and then he's walking, and it's just like he literally walks out of the darkness. Like there's yeah. no detail in those shadows whatsoever. You know? Yeah, I just think it's in some of the earlier scenes with the driving, where it's like, but then when you get to the actual bridge, like that one's just kind of like long shots of like master shots of just like what's happening, and I think though, I think that's why that scene works better than some of the other suspense scenes, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you, you keep the camera on them, and then it's like a shock when that tree comes down the river, right? Like, it's actually yeah. pretty um, intense. Um, whereas I think sometimes he's trying to make up for the intensity with certain uh, editing tricks that I don't think always work. Um, yeah. Uh, to the, the Sam Raimi thing, like, I, he he's not using, like, ultra-wide like lenses and stuff very often. Um, and in any of his movies, frankly, yeah. but um, for like like that bridge sequence, the big famous one, the one that's the fucking poster of the movie, because yeah. even Freakin was like, "No, that's the shit right there. Fucking plaster that bullshit everywhere." And that brought <laughs> that's audience make in people lose in their fucking mind. Yep, and it was like, "All right, well, um, uh, but like there, you're shooting in like these telephoto lenses, so like it compresses the space. So like when it looks like that guy's in front of the truck." He's probably not acting in front of the truck. Now, that doesn't mean that wasn't probably the most dangerous scene these people ever had to film in their entire lives. Yeah. But it's like, it it makes everything feel just so much tighter. So, like, when that fucking tree does come out, it's like, it does feel like it's, like, broken through the frame. Yeah. Almost, you know? Here's something it's, also with Friedkin. I'm just thinking about this with the bridge sequence. Um, when, when... You heard of, I think we talked about this on another episode, but when you heard about The Exorcist growing up, like, what did you imagine the movie was before you actually saw it? Uh, you have to remember I was a scaredy cat for I, a long I, time, I remember, I'm not so saying, I thought... I'm not saying, like, 
what like what what is in it like i'm not like not anything like just like what you imagined like um Mm -hmm. just like when someone described the exorcist to you or like the stories you maybe hear about like how fucking terrifying it was yeah i thought it was like like scares a minute type thing yeah I didn't realize it was basically a drama mm-hmm. for a large chunk of it. I think most people don't realize that. Yeah. Um, I, I always had the thought, I thought the actual exorcism was going to be like three hours long. Like the way the mm-hmm. exorcism was talked about in terms of like when you read about the movie and like he froze the set and they fucking, they had to do this thing and they had Dick Smith with the makeup and they had this and that. Like when you read all this stuff, you're like, this must be the most epic like insane sequence ever committed to film and it certainly is insane but it's not like a fucking like endurance round right whereas i feel like Mm -hmm. the same amount of effort that goes into the exorcism in exorcist is in both bridge crossing sequences like that was probably like like the like just filming a scene that is it can't be more than like five minutes right like it's not actually that long but no, the amount no. of effort that probably went into it is insane to just get the movie to be where it's at. Just like just even thinking about it, it's like Jesus Christ. But it's like the what I thought the Exorcist finale was gonna be mm-hmm. ends up being the Exorcist three theatrical cut yeah. finale. Yeah, basically. And I do like that ending still. <laughs> so it's like I got that eventually. You know. Now, Which uh, I, I don't believe Friedkin ever saw, by the way. Yeah. I I always doubted that because it seems like him and Peter Blatty are too good of friends for him not to see it. Yeah, right? Like, like he, he said he he never saw any of the sequels, although he's got that great story about the, the first screening of, of Exorcist 2. Mm-hmm. Where the, like, for those that don't know, like, the it was a disaster. And, like, the producers of The Exorcist 2 were super proud of it and whatever. And then, like, ten minutes into the movie... Some guy in the front row stands up and he's like, the people responsible for this piece of shit are in this room. (laughs) And they chase him down Hollywood Boulevard or whatever. Which is just fucking insane. It's what you want to see. You love to see it. I know. We should do that again. Yes. Yeah. What do you have to say about some of the other, uh, other characters in this movie? I find them all fascinating, and I think they could all lead their own movie, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's kind of interesting, is that they almost feel like their movies, their individual movies were interrupted to have, like, a sorcerer adventure, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's partly why I think it adds to the grimness of the movie, is that, I mean, you have, you have the, uh, the a, a Palestinian, and then you have the French guy, and they both have elements of their story where there is something left unresolved, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the Frenchman, he's like, he, he's an investment banker. He basically abandons his wife, um, because of like the financial fraud he's committed. And there's a certain, like, you know, you, you get the sense with him where he's like, this will, I will resolve this someday. Like that's, you know, it's like a, it, it adds to attention. And then the, the Palestinian has his friend in jail. It's just, and then when those, you know, those things don't get resolved, they just die. Like basically yeah. unceremoniously, and it it adds to the sort of grimness of like how does you know what this maybe could say about our our miserable lives on planet Earth. <laughs> is is it weird that uh is it weird that the one driver so like there's the fourth driver there's the fifth driver who like gets killed right? 
Yeah. Um, that like they they don't bring him along. Like it's like so the uh, so the the assassin guy can get on the team. Like, mm-hmm. is it weird that that guy's a Nazi? No, it's very weird. Like, uh, it feels like a weird attempt to make us. It's it like almost makes us not feel bad that he was killed in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I it doesn't make me feel bad that he was killed. <laughs> yeah, uh, some choice. This movie makes some choice. I do like the uh, the growing. That's a freakinism. Yeah, not a freakinism. I guess um, I do like the growing uh, sense of the like dictator kind of like consolidating power without like him actually really like showing up ever, you know, like you, mm-hmm. like his, his, his presence looms from the beginning. But like, by the time Scheider goes on the adventure, comes back, it's like, he's extended his authority. Like there's more soldiers, there's more posters. Like it's, it's just something that's like happening in the background while all this is happening. Um, for whatever mm-hmm. reason that stuck out this time. <laughs> um, that like you can be going. On I, this, I can't imagine why you can be going on this harrowing adventure, and it's like yeah, but like you know, fucking there's still dictators. Like none of that changed by the time you got back. Like, mm-hmm. You're still under their authority. Um, <laughs> trying to think, I have some. I I wrote some notes. I actually didn't write a lot of notes down. Um. I kind of just wanted to hype up Friedkin and yeah. talk about how fucking sick this movie is. Yeah, it's, it is a uh, sick movie. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, how do you feel about Nilo, the 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 Mexican assassin? It's a little Friedkin. <laughs> um, it's a little Friedkin for my liking, but I I don't know. I I like I like all these characters, even even the one I don't feel bad about dying. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, in the original, in 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 Wages of Fear, uh, the character you get. Um, is Joe, right? Like, Joe is the guy. Mm-hmm. He shows up. He's like an ex-gangster of some kind. We don't we don't totally learn his deal, but, like, he shows up. He's, like, big time in everyone, right, in the town. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm better than all you people. And he kind of throws weight around. But you kind of, like, you, like, as you watch him, you start to realize, like, no, he's at, like, this is a guy who might have been powerful once, but, like, he's on the downswing. Like, this is, like, him at, like, rock bottom, basically. But he's trying to act like... Things are still going well. And I like the choice in Wages of Fear that uh, he's like, he's, he's this big tough guy. He like intimidates people. He, he probably killed that one guy uh, just so he'd get on the team. And then like five minutes into the journey, he like falls apart. Like, like they're mm-hmm. barely on the road. And he's like, this was so, why the fuck did I agree to do this? This is so fucking dumb. <laughs> Like, we're all gonna fucking die. Like, I love that choice in Wages of Fear. Um, and I think it adds to when, when you find, when you get to, I don't know, I, the, 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 there's, there's two choices in this that I kind of don't like in Sorcerer. Um, the one big one for me is I do not like that they show the first truck blowing up. Um, in, and this is a, just a direct comparison to Wages of Fear. In Wages of Fear, it's it's a similar sequence, right? Where in the in they the boulder sequence happens in Wages of Fear, the tree sequence happens in Sorcerer, right? Where there's kind mm-hmm. of this moment where they have to get creative, they have to use some of the nitro, they have to work together, and they have to blow this thing up. And uh, there's a bit of a like moment of triumph post that, right? Like holy yeah, shit, yeah, we yeah, actually yeah. did it. Like it's one of the few high marks. Of it, and then they separate again. They have to give each other distance as part of the journey. 
in Wages of Fear, we do not see what happened. Um, Luigi and the the German guy, uh, they just we just see we just see a flash of light, and then we stay, our, uh, the our, our two other characters, Mario and Joe, look ahead, and there's just an explosion. We just know they're dead. There's no ceremony to it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's an incredibly dark sequence, but it also adds to the suspense because we don't know why they blew up, right? Like, yeah, it's and so when we get there, there's like things like it, it looks like they almost just disappeared into the into the water here, like the, like that's like the one line, and it's like mm-hmm. yeah, so like they could make the same mistake they did without knowing it. It adds this really good level of suspense to that last sequence, and it makes perfect sense that Mario would fucking run Joe over, right? Um, yeah, and in that moment, it really was Joe over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He hung in for like ten more minutes, and then he died. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas here, they you know they show the tire blow out. It's kind of a just like there was nothing that could have been done. Like they had, there was no way they could have seen that coming, and they just blow up, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't like that choice. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with the choice. I I, I think maybe it's because I saw Sorcerer first. Mm-hmm. I don't like prefer it. again. I I do I, I do prefer Wages of Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you laid out a very good reason like why I think that works better in Wages of Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Sorcerer, which is just such a, like a cosmically nihilistic movie, which mm-hmm. is just like yeah, you're gonna fucking everything bad's gonna happen to you and you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. I I think. That's what makes the decision to have it be the tire popping and them going over the road briefly and then that crash instigating the explosion. I think that's what makes that work because of how the movie has kind of established its cosmically nihilistic rules versus Wages of Fear, which I think has a a better handle on like just the tension aspect of it. Yeah. Even though Sorcerer is also one of the most tense and disgusting movies ever made. (laughs) Um, and the other thing I kind of just, I, it's not like even the dislike, I just kind of brush up against, I'm not really sure I like the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the kind of like the, the attempt of the bandits robbing them, trying to rob the truck sequence. Um. Oh no? Yeah. It just kind of feels like you were getting so much tension out of the truck and the journey itself to just throw in like guns suddenly it kind of felt like a bit of a like all right like i don't know it just again i i think to me that's that works for sorcerer like if that happened in wages of fear like in the same capacity i'd be like "Mm, i don't know um but in sorcerer it's uh it's everything getting thrown at them. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it I, is the truck I, and the dynamite. Like, it, but it's it's the elements. It's the people. It's each other. Yeah, I so get, to me that I get again, what you're saying, more. but I just it felt it, it it really felt more like oh, I guess this is why Nilo's an assassin character. Like, like oh, we just had the, the two guns just happen to get pulled on the two characters we know have experience with guns, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it it feels like an oddly like set up and pay off kind of thing of like, well, we got to have them shoot someone or else the movie will be boring. And, no. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know. And it just, it feels like it, I think guns just changes the equation a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and, I, and, I do. I in do. terms of like, what is killing them? Like it's especially with like it, when Nilo gets shot in the stomach, 
and 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 bleeds out basically. Whereas like in you know not to be like but in Wages of Fury he gets he gets uh, the the similar character gets crushed by the tires like he, he, he and then he just slowly dies like in his arms covered in oil, and uh, it's I just. There's something about like to suddenly bring guns in the equation. It it, it suddenly it, I almost think it works against the sort of nihilism of it. Like there's something so precise about a gun that uh, it it's like there's like an intentionality to it that I think when I think it's I'm not you know I'm not this isn't really like a criticism but when people watch guns in movies, even when something goes wrong, someone's like, well, I would have done it better if I had been holding the gun, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's just like the average American response. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many times do you watch a movie where like someone like fires a gun and misses, and the audience is like, "Ugh, how could you not make that shot?" Like, yeah, it's like it's hard <laughs> to shoot a gun. Like, yes, yeah. it's, it's sorry, John Wick's not real. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and uh, I just I'm so like the the, the gun element of it. I don't know. Especially, like, when the opening is so full of, like, kind of that sort of violence, like, divorced from this. Like, that's the violence that kind of brings them here. I It just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it felt a little uh, a little off for me. Okay. Okay. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I, it still works for me, but, like, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Uh, especially because Wages of Fear does, like... It doesn't have to like veer into other territory to to get its attention, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's but just I guess like, it feels Wages like... of Fear also feels less like cosmically like nihilistic, I guess. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know. I think Wages of Fear works about a movie like that. It's kind of like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, right? Like, which uh-huh. I think is definitely a big influence on Sorcerer as well. Where like that's a very like it it doesn't start that cosmically nihilistic right like mm-hmm. you don't start the movie there it's kind of, and it's kind of a it, it has that you know it it sort of has that thing of it gets it gets you the audience in there where you're like okay i can see how this is gonna go wrong right like you're almost like enjoying yeah. it right like you're almost like this will mm-hmm. be kind of fun to watch go wrong like it's a well, of course, the nitro is going to go off at some point. Like, it's just, you don't set that up if it's not going to happen. If Wages of Fear, if both trucks had made it and nothing had happened, it would have been a shit movie. Like, it, but as it plays out, I think it starts to build towards a sort of cosmic nihilism. Like, it's it almost sneaks up on you in Wages of Fear, where you don't realize the movie's actually going to get that grim and that bleak and it even tricks you with that final sequence where like everyone's dancing and it's happy music and shit and it's like yay it worked out and it's like no fuck you like it's, yeah. it's like no it did whereas and this isn't like again this is sorcerer on its own legs it's 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 a different movie but i think sorcerer from the beginning it feels like the end of the world right like mm-hmm. from the yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. it feels like everything's already over it's just it's that that's that's the choice that was made. I think it's why Scheider at the end of the movie decides to dance with the woman before leaving. Like there's almost a sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I am getting out of here, but like to where, right? Like Yeah. And it's I I I think that's more of what sorcerer 
has going for it. Whereas, like, Ladies of Fear kind of just, it starts as, like, a generic thriller and kind of builds towards that apocalyptic ending. And, and similarly with Treasure of the Sierra Madre, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you don't, I don't know, when the first time you watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you don't really expect Humphrey Bogart to go that far, right? Like... Yeah, it's it's almost vertigo in a way where like you don't expect it to go there and it does, um, mm. but vertigo a movie William Friedkin did not like. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the division. It's like the Palma clearly loves vertigo, Friedkin clearly hates <laughs> vertigo. Yeah, uh, but although I think he still like respected it because it was Hitchcock. Yeah, Friedkin but, respected you know. it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> whatever that could mean. Yeah, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's why Sorcerer is better than Wages of Fear. All right. Um, how do you feel about Tangerine Dream? No. Oh my God, it's fucking one of the best scores of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. I've listened to this score like I I could not tell you how many times I've had this score like on loop as I'm writing or just doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> I think Tangerine Dream should score, like, half the movies that come out on planet Earth. Well, they have, the, Tangerine Dream has, like, some insane discography of just, like, the number of movies they've done that you wouldn't even think they had done, right? Like... Yeah. They've done a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for those that don't know, I'm gonna... I'm gonna list some right now. Thief! Near Dark! Um, what's the... Chariots of Fire? Is that the one? Did they do that? I think so. Why not? They did Manhunter, right? Like I think they're returning to the. They show did from... not do Manhunter. Oh, okay. I always think. Oh, they did. They did. Uh, they did a version <laughs> of the Keep, right? Like they did. Yeah, they did the. They worked on the Keep, and then Michael Mann was, you know, it was Michael Mann, and then that movie got fucked production wise. So, you know, it's. I, I don't know how much of their work like, is officially theirs in that mm-hmm. one. You know, I, I don't know all the details about that one. But, um, yeah, they worked on a lot of movies, and uh, very well, so, obviously, the composers of Stranger Things were like, yeah, we're going for, like, a Tangerine Dream yeah. type thing. Tangerine Dream, Carpenter-type like, yeah. shit, right? Like, that's what they're always mm-hmm. going for. Yeah. Maybe I should buy yeah. one of those, like, old synthesizers. And just, like, fuck around with it? That could yeah, be fun. Like, I mean, like, I always buy, like, I have so much old bullshit like that. Like... Yeah. Oh, uh, Tangerine Dream also worked on Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, well, it's right. It feels like um, the which sim- is a bad movie, but or a bad game. I mean, but like, um, oh, you don't like G- uh, GTA Five? Good score. I don't. I think the narrative is awful. Um, mm. The gameplay is great. That's but interesting. I, I, I kind of hate the writing in that one. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I hadn't heard that take. But also, I will say with I have with a lot of Rockstar games, even the ones I really like, I kind of get burned out at a certain point. Um, before I finish it, like I never really finish the narrative, so. Okay. Um, I think that's why the first Red Dead Redemption is my favorite one of theirs. Yeah, Red. Yeah, it's, it's probably the it's best. kind of about the burnout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, a game um, where I played it for two hours and all I did was go up a hill and then come down it, and then I was like, I'm I'm not I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I, I kind of have the same reaction. So, um, like, literally, I could have watched Sorcerer in that same amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, la- last uh, references for Tangerine Dream. Uh, Risky Business, Firestarter, the original Firestarter um, that John Carpenter was oh, supposed to do. Oh, got yeah, fired they, remade, off of. they remade Firestarter and no one cared. 
Yeah, but John Carpenter did the score, so I'm gonna check that out eventually. Um, oh, he and then did? of course oh, yeah, Legend. Doing, now, now there's doing like weird. So he's, he just signed on to do a score for another movie, like yeah, an A24 produced movie too. Hell, hell yeah, yeah. A24. Um, you know, like I know he's old. Just fucking give him, give him whatever he wants. Let get Carpenter yeah. back in the director's chair. God damn it. You gave Bo is Afraid a hundred million dollars. You can give some money to Carpenter. I don't think it cost a hundred million dollars. I don't think they can afford to produce a movie for a hundred million dollars. Didn't didn't they? Isn't it like kind of like they're cashing in a little bit? I thought Bo is Afraid had an insane budget. All right, at thirty five million. I thought for some reason in my head I'm like that at a hundred million dollar budget. You know, thirty five million for them is a hundred million dollars. Yeah, basically, right. so that is a lot of money. Well, you them. can give they can give the same to Carpenter. Fucking get him in the director's yeah. chair. God damn it. Um, uh, I don't. I mean, it, he's probably going to want to direct from home again. Are you okay with that? I, uh, no, you know what? I I'm sorry. I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to derail things. But I was. I was. I went to the Bo's Afraid Wikipedia page and I misread an actor's name. As Park Chan Wook, and I was like, Park uh-huh. Chan Wook was in Bo's Afraid, and my head almost explode, exploded. But then I realized <laughs> I just I just misread something. So, hey, what are you gonna do? All right. Uh, oh, hey, hey, here's to... something really cool I just learned about Bo is Afraid. Oh, um, oh, no. David Mamet has a vocal cameo as a rabbi in the film. Ooh. Really chill guy, David Mamet. Oh, really boy. chill and normal guy, David Mamet, especially in the last few years. You know, especially someone who has a whole section on their Wikipedia page titled "Political Views." Really cool guy to give a voice cameo to. Ari. I haven't seen Bo is Afraid yet. Well, you can, now you can keep an ear out for David Mamet. Okay. <laughs> um, um. Uh, he's sort of he's he's even to the right of Friedkin, significantly. Yeah. So would you, you know, consider Friedkin like right wing? Like no, he... I I I think because America is an inherently conservative country. Yeah. He's, he's probably like moderate, mm-hmm. or he was probably moderate, but um, I think open to like hearing actual people's like please and like you could talk to him you know and he's not gonna fucking shout at you yeah <laughs> about like like your actual woes and shit yeah um freaking doesn't seem like he would have been a guy who went on a rant about people being too woke yeah no like, no no he might have complained about political correctness though yeah no, no but he he was uh i guess we could wind down the episode but like you know uh, Freaking was a real character. He was he was a great artist when he hit. He had some some misses, some swinging misses. But um, I don't know. You could you could get hours of entertainment from his interviews alone. Like yeah. the Marin interview um is like legendary at this point. It's like two and a half hours long, and it's worth every fucking second of it. There's the Nicholas Winding Refn one that people dunk on, but they clearly like are friends. Like Refn like intros him like a bunch of other times. Like at screenings and stuff yeah. like that. And it's Although, like, I freaking follow... wouldn't have done that if he didn't like at least at like 
like being around the guy. I could be wrong, but I did. I do follow Nicholas Winding Refn on Twitter, and he didn't seem to say anything when Friedkin passed. Oh. Now, you know, maybe that's just he's not on Twitter as much these days, but I found that interesting. Oh. So. But I mean, Friedkin is, did. I, I hope Friedkin, that's, that's nothing, like, real. Friedkin did, like, body slam him in that one interview, though. Like. You know, he did. Well, because Refn, my boy, is is a little bit of a of a goofball to say the least. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I, in that interview, like at first it's like funny. And then it's like, no dude, he's trying to move the car. Like Friedkin's trying to move the conversation forward. And then there's like a miscommunication happening there. And Mm -hmm. as the interviewer, I would put it on Refn for Mm -hmm. not getting it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But he's like, you know, pretend I'm, I'm the younger version of you. And he's like, you are. Like freaking like you are? Are you really? He's like, no, no, no. Like I am. I'm the younger you. I'm the I'm the the young you. And they're just like they're not communicating properly. Yeah. And it is like two old people like just shouting at each other. That seems to be a thing with Ruffin though. Like he seems to have like weird like he miscommunicates and there's like weird misunderstandings. Maybe they should do a comedy next, like a fucking misunderstanding type comedy film. But um, yeah, Ruffin's bow is afraid. Yeah, basically. It might actually be good. Boo. Bam. Oh, Ruffin should do like an after hours type thing. I think that would actually kind of fucking rock. You know, he probably could do it. Like, because he would probably be like schlock, yeah. but like in a good way. Yeah, no, he, I mean, I, I, everyone knows I'm a Ruffin fan at this <laughs> point. So he, I would love to see in something In July like that 2016, happen. Ruffin revealed that he had turned down an offer to direct the movie, James Bond movie Spectre. AKA Refn. You know what? That's lied. probably for the best. No, he did not. They did not <laughs> offer Spectre to Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> he's, he's, he, I'm not calling him a liar, but he's lying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, the Broccoli's are interesting people. Maybe they did no, look at him for a second. They are, but the thing with the Broccoli's is they like they will reach out to like interesting directors. And then they kind of, like, will let them kind of, like, feel things out. But then they'll be like, okay, but here's what you're doing. Like, they always do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so, I, like, it's why... Like, remember, like, Danny Boyle almost did uh, No Time to Die? Like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, allegedly, that was the problem he ran into. Where, like, he had, like, all these ideas. And they developed it for a little bit. And then they were like, okay, but now we're bringing in the, the guys that write all of these movies and they're going to, they're going to rip it in the shape. And he's like, well, I'm not doing that. So, yeah, so. I'd still like to see him do one. Um, yeah. I think Friedkin could have done a, a great big budget movie, but he, I don't think he wanted to do that. Yeah. Anymore. Who knows what Friedkin really wanted. I mean, well, French connections works. It's kind of one of the proto like action movies, right? Like, yeah. So like, who knows where he could have taken that. So, but if he had done like die hard, there would have been like dozens of deaths. Like, I don't know if you want to trust Freakin' with budgets that big, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Love the guy, but... No, I'm, I'm glad Freakin' did what he did, and I hope he, he got to do everything he wanted to. I, I know I remember some conversations with him. I devoured, like, Freakin' interviews uh, after he passed away, and even before, and especially before this podcast. But um, he was talking about how, like, you know, there's no great work of art he's... he has in his back pocket because he's just developed 
or he hadn't developed anything of his own accord, mm-hmm. um, I guess, since Sorcerer. And he just wasn't interested in that. He wanted to find great material and nourish it onto the big screen eventually. And, you know, I think this is like a happy medium from John Carpenter's It's Just a Job cynicism to the Spielbergian, like, movies are magic and dreams, you know? It's like, no, it's like you can make great works of art that do speak to something um, like truthful and wonderful. But, you know, you could also just be like, it, it is just a job at the end of the day, you know? He's he's a, he's the ideal journeyman. Uh, his takes are missed. And um, he's got a, a very fascinating library of films to revisit until the end of time. Any final thoughts on Sorcerer? Um, so you think he got shot in the end? What? Oh, um, yeah, totally. 100%. All right. All right. Glad we cleared that yeah. up. Okay. <laughs> I I wasn't aware people thought anything else until like after I saw the movie and then I, I, I was looking at reacting and stuff like that. And even on the Wikipedia, it's like, it might be a tire blown out. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, no, he clearly got shot. Like they they went there to kill him. Like, I think there's a certain denial of the even like like grim catharsis, right? Of like seeing it, you know. But it is one of those things where uh-huh. like like it, let's just say for the sake of argument, let's just say he didn't get shot. He's still fucked. Like it's like if he somehow got out of there, like he used that yeah, poor woman he was dancing him. with as a shield or some shit. Like mm-hmm. if if he got out of there, it's like well, if they found him there, they're gonna find him anywhere. Like. That's yeah. really the ending, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why we don't actually see him get shot. But, mm-hmm. yeah. But, little... you know what? I want to give, I'm not, I want to give respect to people that do believe otherwise. Like, yeah, because in the world of Sorcerer, everyone's fucked it. Like, the moment yeah. the movie starts, long after the movie's over. Everyone who appears in this film, even non-speaking characters, are living miserable lives, and they're going to end miserably. Mm-hmm. But what you just said reminds me when I saw Cowboy Bebop, the end of Cowboy Bebop, Spike's Vigil, you know, he does the whole thing, bang, you know, it falls yeah. to the ground. And that was, my reaction had always been, oh, he he died. Mm-hmm. He's dead. I spoke to Gene about it several years ago and he saw it for the first time. And he was like, oh, now, like, like um, he's put that behind him so when he recovers like he can live like a new life and i was like what no he's dead like obviously he's dead and it's like there's always another perspective out there and it doesn't even mean it's wrong i i disagree with gene i do think spike dies at the end of cowboy you're you're both wrong he he was dead the whole time um (laughs) and i don't mean i don't mean that in a like oh it was a hallucination type thing i mean like no no i know what you mean yeah he's he thinks he's dead the whole time but yeah, it's a bad dream. He never wakes up foot. from. There's a that's an yeah. insanely grim show they just put on television at night on Cartoon Network. Um, it's an insanely grim show, but it's also like a comfort show for me. Yeah, it's weird. You know what like, I mean? Well, that John Carpenter's also that. Where like all those movies are like humanity's fucked. We're all gonna kill ourselves. Like evil is real and it's unstoppable. And I'm like, yeah, these movies. I put them on when I'm bored. I'm put them on when I'm not feeling happy. Like, yeah. they make I mean, feel better. I, I watch. I watch the thing every Halloween. I didn't do yeah. anything on Halloween. I just watched the thing again with my cat, and it was great. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll find a tradition for sorcerer. Because even though I'm, I have been saying like, no, Wages of Fear is probably the better movie. Sorcerer still is my favorite Friedkin movie, mm-hmm. and that is no negative feelings towards sorcerer. Or to live and die in L.A. 
The Exorcist, so, Bug Killer Joe. Before we get going, I think we have a couple things to talk about. Um, yeah. There are more outside of the movie. Okay. Um, one, why is it called Sorcerer? <laughs> one of the trucks. Yes. It's one of the trucks. Yes. Why is it called Sorcerer? <laughs> oh, because it's... it's uh... <clears throat> it, you know, have you have you read Friedkin's quote about why it's called Sorcerer? He said something fucking ridiculous that yeah. I disagree with, but go ahead and say it. <laughs> he says the sorcerer is an evil wizard, and in this case, the evil wizard is fate. The fact that somebody can walk <laughs> walk out of their front door and a hurricane can take them away. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't the just, greatest artist of all time. You don't just walk out of your door to a surprise hurricane. <laughs> like, you, there's usually some warning to a hurricane. <laughs> they don't... The hurricanes are not known for sneaking up on you. <laughs> What a what a man. He led with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um You know, the mayor of Whoville once told me the parable <laughs> about the hurricane. Uh oh, a hurricane can take them away. An earthquake or so or something falling through the roof. He just gave up. It's a hurricane, an earthquake, or something falling through the roof. And the idea that we don't really have control of our own fates, neither our births nor our deaths. It's something that has haunted me since I was intelligent enough to contemplate something like that. That doesn't really answer the question, but all right. Yeah. uh, Interesting fellow. Fascinating fellow. I'm going to devour every interview of his I could still find. um, We got to... Because I I always get a kick out of him. if, If he was still alive, I could go to Twitter right now and be like, why do you think hurricanes come out of nowhere? And he would respond probably. He'd be like, "Fuck you." No. <laughs> um, but uh, all right, so I guess so. That's why it's called sorcerer. Um, yeah. And I believe that, like, in terms of like the the disastrous box office of that movie, they say that's part of what uh, contributed to it. And I wonder how much that is true. But it must have been a problem because they started having to put on the posters, "This is not a supernatural movie." <laughs> Oh, oh, damn. All right, so here's something else, I guess, just to talk about. Um, And it's one of the elements I like, but I don't totally get it. So there's the, like, there's the, like, ancient ruins in the jungle that are, like, the opening shot of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, source where it's over that, like, whatever it is. It's it's a little bit like the Pazuzu statue in Exorcist. Like, there's honestly some weird parallels to Exorcist. Um, yeah. And, but that image, it's very clearly the face of the truck, right? And mm-hmm. I do like that the way he shoots the trucks in this movie, which is very different than Wages of Fear. Um, they're, ba- they're almost like animalistic beasts, you know? Like, they're, they're mm-hmm. almost like monsters in and of themselves in the way that, like, the truck from Duel is, you know? And, yeah. Oh, um, big Duel vibes for yeah. sure with the trucks. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I really like that choice. I don't totally know what he's getting at with it, though. 
Um, well, I guess this is the thing with sorcerer. It feels much more like I mentioned, like the the cosmic nihilism. I also think it's a little more elemental. Yeah, like it, it does feel like with wages of fear. It feels like characters like mm. who have made decisions to get to this point. Sorcerer feels like this is all out of human hands. Yeah. Like this, well, thing. this misery is just it's it's just a down it's a torrential downpour that we do not see the beginning of and we're not going to see the end of but you're just fucking in it go with whatever god you worship yeah. well i mean i think in, in wages of fear like i said wages of fear has this undercurrent of dark humor and it, it's like like there's satirical elements in wages of fear right like when the explosion yeah, happens yeah. the american guy running the place is like ah blame it on the guy who died like we no one will get in trouble then like like, there's a part where they go up and, like, the one guy's just, like, wrapped, like, in, like, a full body cast. And he's like, oh, buddy, sorry to see that happen to you. Like, like there's, like, jokes like that in the movie. And it's more of a, like, satire. I mean, it, it's very, like, almost anti-American imperialism. But, like, it's more in, like, mm. a satirical bent. Whereas, like, Sorcerer, it definitely has that bent to it, I would argue. It's more of a capitalist bent, um, it feels like, in Sorcerer. There's a great shot early on where, uh... uh Scheider sitting in one of the bars in the shit town, and there's just the uh, like the faded image of like a Coca Cola advertisement, right? Like, of mm-hmm. just like a, a lady lounging on the beach with a Coke. And it's like, is there a better image of capitalism than a Coca Cola, right? Like, it's just yeah. like, it doesn't, I mean, it's a, it's sugar water, it doesn't actually quench your thirst. Like, it, it yeah. provides no value to your body whatsoever, but you still crave it. Even when you've been deprived of it for so long, um, and now everyone listening to this podcast understands the ending to Mad Men. All right, <laughs> have you not seen Mad Men? Um, I bailed on Mad Men like two seasons in. Oh, okay the the final uh, sequence of of Mad Men is uh, uh, the Coke advertisement, like a very famous oh, okay. Coke advertisement. All right, good, good, good yeah. for Mad Men. There was an episode yeah. in, like, season two that, like, I found so morally repugnant I abandoned the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it, was the one, it was the one where they basically just wrote the one gay guy off the show. Do you know, you know the episode I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah, like, the way they did it, I found it really offensive. <laughs> and, like, oh, okay. okay. And, like, a real fucking, fucking pussy about it. I just stopped watching. <laughs> It's fun. You're allowed to not watch stuff. Yeah, I guess. But like people are like, oh, it's a brilliant show, and I just like the one thing like rubbed me so, the wrong way. So I was like, fuck this show. But, I don't know. I I think that's fine. Yeah. Like whatever. I I you're you're a smart guy. You you're I, allowed I, to dislike I, stuff. I think every episode of this podcast is in disagreement of you, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of me being, I think I'm just the guy who talks a lot. I don't I don't think that is a sign of any intelligence, but thank you for feeling that way. No, you're welcome. And it's Diego, true. you're here too. Uh, I am. <laughs> uh, Sometimes even mentally, but always physically. Oh yeah. I'm trying to think of what else. Like, I'm just kind of fascinated. So like, yeah, mo- movie, movie was a big bomb. The other, the other thing they talk about, it's actually weird. I, I find it weird that the, uh, the Wikipedia page feels the need to break the movie up in a way the movie actually isn't. Have you are you looking at the Wikipedia synopsis for the plot? I am. Yeah. Where so it's like there's 
like part it's, one it, prologue. But it's also like the film opens with a prologue that consists of four segments described by critics as vignettes. And I'm like, I don't think the movie is that difficult. To, like, you don't need to really break it up to follow it, right? Yeah, no, like, it's... No, it's, yeah. It's honestly one of, the, like, the least complicated films ever, but apparently it was it's a little too much for some people. Or at least that's the reputation it developed. They talk about how, because no one speaks English for, like, the first 15 minutes, that people thought it was a foreign film. Like, which, I mean, I don't know, but... Um, well, Friedkin's got a great quote about, like, the dumbing down of culture, like, over the last, like, mm. decade. I'm sh- I, I am sure he has a quote on that exact thing. <laughs> yeah. No. But... And he's a... I see a diminishing of all art forms these days, and that is from an interview... From December 6, 2015. I'm reading here these were his last words before he died. <laughs> um, <laughs> sounds like Freakin would have like, gone out it's... swinging. Oh, no, no. I, I imagine he... his last words were fucking just insane. Yeah. No. But... No, like, sir, I have to ask, would you still have opened Sorcerer so close to Star Wars knowing what you do now? <laughs> He just pulls I, the guy closer. Fuck you. You know how some people like see a light before they die and shit like that. Like mm-hmm. that, like when they're dying. So like, there's kind of like that one moment where you're like, you're still alive, but you're on the verge of death. Like you're in between the two worlds for like briefly. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a famous, there's a famous uh, <laughs> Greek philosopher that when he died, his last words were, I feel as if I'm becoming a God. And then he died. <laughs> um, I think Freakin, I think when he was on his deathbed, he's laying there. And then we don't know what he we, we, we don't know what he's seeing because it's only for him to see. But we hear him and open those gates, you motherfucker. Him <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> with the pearly gates. Like, why are they even shut? This bullshit. You weren't expecting me? Those are his last words. Bill, tell them to open the fuck up. <laughs> Motherfucking I know you're dude. in there, Blatty, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know me. He knows me. What? Like, you didn't bother to see me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have haunted me once, you piece of shit. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I know you believe in that shit, you fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, well, look that... at us now, Bill. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um... movie bombed. Um, Everyone seems to be in agreement that the title Sorcerer was a mistake, which is just really funny to me. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, I love this movie. I don't know if I'd call it Sorcerer back yeah, then. Yeah, I mean, I... I am kind of glad it has the name now, because it's just like, what's it about? Oh, there's no magic in it. It's but I kind of lived the disappointment of 1977 audiences when I saw, oh, William Friedkin, Sorcerer, it must be, oh. Like, I had that exact <laughs> moment when I was younger, because I'm like, I was, I'm such a fantasy junkie, and they're so few good fantasy films so yeah like, to be like oh freaking did oh like yeah. <laughs> it's just you know um yeah a mistake but uh yep but yeah. uh i guess that sorcerer that sorcerer and um and that's season three of the failed blockbusters i'm sure we will uh find a way to talk about freaking again he's made some other bombs i mean his next movie was also a bomb but i don't even know if it's worth talking i've never seen it um mm. the brinks job 
the cruising bomb or the cruising like actually cruising like kind of made money like yeah it, it didn't break even though you have to double up to break even even yeah yeah but i bet you that's one of those movies where like it, it probably broke even like it's close enough oh yeah because older box office stuff is like it's acclimated weird and shit yeah and like that's an age where like home video like was still growing so it probably made money later like yeah. you know that that movie well if we profit. ever do uh if we ever do something with Citizen Kane, Freakin' will come up again because he said the two most important films uh, in American history are um, one of them was Citizen Kane. And I forget the other one. He it it might have been Birth of a Nation. Unfortunately, yeah, it's probably said. Birth. Of, it's it's it, yeah. he probably picked some second insane choice. Yeah. yeah, it's Citizen Kane and Triumph of the Will. <laughs> <laughs> but. I wonder if if Orson and Friedkin ever met. Probably not. But um, if if he did, they did not get along. There's no way those two personalities in the same room would have gone well. <laughs> no fucking way. God, I just fuck. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna do one of something... those like fake movies of like like you know those like oh the this is when two like historical figures met even though it didn't really happen. I'm gonna do a movie of that for Friedkin and Orson. Here's something though. You know who de- who? There's almost like there's a chance they could have met. Freaking could have met Lenny Riefenstahl, who lived oh until God. like 2003, and it feels like the type of person that he would have sought out at one point. <laughs> sure, sure that that would have been something. That would have been something. Well, Lenny Riefenstahl's dead, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Nazi broad. Lived for 101 years. That's fucking absurd. Yeah, of course. Of course. The most That's evil. fucked up. I guess I, I usually That's... hate... I usually hate letterbox like, the joke quotes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the ones for Triumph of the Will are pretty good. I gotta, I gotta say. Um, top three reviews. Pretty well-made movie, but the main character is literally Hitler. <laughs> great now okay, we have whoever to, did that great now we have to add being boring to the list of hitler's crimes <laughs> the okay last good one job is, letterbox the last one is just has not aged well <laughs> <laughs> so there you go good on incredible box I'm going to go like all those of you right now. That's very funny. Yeah, I normally don't like that <laughs> shit, but those are pretty good. No, no, that's literally the least we could do to take down Nazis. Yeah, exactly. Among other things we could do to take down Nazis are redacted. Um, anyways, Sorcerer, which also has a Nazi in it. Yeah. Um, who dies? It's, it's fine. It's in your face, man. It's the 70s. Movies are big and they're only going to get bigger. You can do whatever you want. Fuck what the Star fuck War- is a Star Wars? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, Matt, thanks for joining me on this podcast on this retrospective. I seriously like enjoy the hell uh, out of these things, doing no, them with same. you. I have a blast. Yeah, um, I, I love doing these with you too, Diego. And this is me being earnest. This isn't me going to be like pivoting at the last second, but like, fuck you. Like, I do genuinely, <laughs> I do genuinely like doing these. And I think this season went pretty well. Like, I think I, I was a little nervous at the start because we, we had, like, too many good movies. 
Mm-hmm. And I think this was a pretty well-rounded series, honestly. Like, I think we ended up having a lot to talk about. And they ended up being a lot of, like, thematic connections, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah. And then it all comes comes to a fucking screeching halt like the truck and sorcerer. And now we're all going to blow up mm-hmm. for a couple months as we take a couple months off the retrospective and yes. uh, plan out the next year, basically. Yeah, next Yeah, I think we will, we will if, if all goes well, we will, we will pick up again sometime in december is what i'm hoping for um yeah at the very least for something in christmas like yeah. we, we'll probably do something for that well, do, well then we do a christmas thing we seem to always find something to do at christmas um but uh yeah we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it um but yeah, yeah. For, for november there will i mean these will be released in november the last two episodes uh but that then we will take a brief break from the series and uh, we'll be back, and we have some. We have a lot of stuff planned, honestly. Um, yeah, no, Matt. If if you didn't see it, Matt made two lists for the failed blockbusters and failed award contenders uh, <laughs> on Letterboxd, and they're all very good choices. We'll see what we pick from those mm-hmm. or other stuff that that's not on the list. There's there's probably um, I, I always think of new things and I just forget to add them. Um, I need more yeah, any recommendations for happens. failed awards contenders, which is like a lot looser of a category. Because I have like I basically have like five hundred for failed blockbusters and like uh, <laughs> like a couple dozen for failed awards. So any recommendations, feel free to send them to me on Twitter for however long that website lasts. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe if you didn't like this episode. Like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Okay, that's it for now. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye, Jonathan Demi. We have been Goodbye, professionally Judy Foster. Goodbye. <laughs>